0: Good morning. morning. Happy New Year again. Some of you were here last um, last week for that rare occasion that we have uh, New Year's on a Sunday. It's a beautiful thing. And oh, sorry, Aaron. I could just take out the whole thing if I'm not careful. So we're glad you're here this morning. Uh, I don't know about you, but Um, I keep telling myself that I'm sort of past New Year's resolutions, right? Uh, Done with that stuff, don't need them, uh, they don't work, you don't keep them, all of those things, right? And then I find myself just calling them something else, right? So I find myself getting to the end of the year and starting the beginning of the year and having these ideas about how I want to improve 2017 how I want to do something different um, (coughs) this year and so I'm in essence creating New Year's resolutions I just refuse to call them that anymore because they don't work of course Uh, and and I never stick with them so I'm just have some ideas Uh, I have some goals I have some um, principles that I want to apply to my life I have some things that I want to change and get better at um, but I'm not going to call them a New Year's resolution. So don't come to me, anybody, and say, what are your New Year's resolutions? Because I'll tell you, I don't, I don't do that anymore. Uh, but I do think about what this coming year is going to be like. And I, I don't know if you do that, but I, I think we probably all do at some point. And, and so one of the things that really is important to me is as we think about North, um, uh, as we think about our church, what is, what is our church going to look like Uh, in 2017, what what do we want to do? And so last September, as we kicked off the school year, we talked about that a little bit, and we made a couple of statements about North. (coughs) Excuse me, here's the first one. If somebody were to ask you, what is your church all about? Um, The first thing is it's a place where everyone is family, nobody is perfect, and anything is possible because of Jesus. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's who we are, right? That, that we're, we're a place where everyone is family, that we're the body of Christ, that we're the family of Christ, that, that when we uh, come here together, when we come in the name of Jesus, he has made us family. He has he, he has connected us together. And we laugh about this sometimes because if you're part of a different family, another family, you know that we don't get to pick our family, right? and uh, you don't get to vote on that before you're born you don't get to vote on that at some point in your life you are born into a family and that's your family and deal with it and and that happens to us also in the body of Christ that that's one of the great tensions in our lives and one of the great ways that we grow is that we have to accept the fact that that we are part of the family of God that 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 we were promised in, in John 1.12 that, that, that anyone who believes in him, he gave the right to be called the children of God. And so we're in this family together, and, and some of you, you guys didn't pick me, I get that, um, but you got me. And we have each other. And part of how we grow as followers of Jesus is figuring out how to love each other and how to live that out. So that's the first part of it, and then the the, the second part of that, sorry, I jumped ahead of you, Julie, but the second part of that is that nobody's perfect, let's just get over that part, okay, nobody's perfect, that we all come in need of a savior, we all come in need of Christ, uh, and, and then, but the last part trumps everything, and that is that every anything is possible because of Jesus. That He said, "If anyone is in Christ, the old has passed away; behold, the new has come." That we are new creations. All of those things are possible because of who Jesus is, because of the cross and the resurrection. We get to live out those truths, and anything is possible through Christ. And that's not to say, um, that, you know my preference would be that all things are possible through me, that I'm smart enough, and I'm you know, resourceful enough, and all of those things that I can get this done, but the reality is that uh, I need Christ. I need a savior in my life. And so if someone were to ask you, uh, tell me about your church, you could start with this. It's a place where everyone is family, nobody is perfect. And anything is possible because of Jesus. And then we have three other things that we stand on. Our mission, what are we about? What are we going to do? And, and those three things are really simple. It's simply to love God, to love one another, and to love the world. Love God love one another, and love the world, that that's what we want to be about. How do we learn to love God together? Um, How do we love one another the way that Christ has loved us? How do we live that out in our family in spite of the fact that family can get messy, in spite of the fact that family can sometimes be painful? Uh, How does Christ allow us? How does God teach us to live that out? And then how do we love the world? Well, couple of thousand years ago there were a group of people and they were sorting out the exact same thing they were coming off of maybe one of the greatest highs in the history of of the world uh, arguably the greatest high in the history of the world and and Jesus was g- getting ready to go back into heaven and they meet with him and he gives them direction for how he wants them to to live, and we're gonna take a little deeper dive into this passage. It's a passage that you're really familiar with, but I wanna challenge you this morning that there's just a really good chance that God in his spirit wants to teach us something brand new about this. Call me crazy, but God really does wanna speak to us through his word, and so let's pay attention to this. We're gonna look at Matthew, the 28th chapter, verses 16 to 20. There are 11 disciples now, minus Judas, and they're told by Jesus to meet him in Galilee. Galilee is about 70 miles from Jerusalem so think about this that all of the stuff that happened uh, the crucifixion the resurrection all this happened around Jerusalem and then Jesus says now I want you to go to Galilee and I'm going to meet you there so they have about a 70 mile trek now normally that would have taken them three or four days because they would have walked it Um, but you know I don't know I I don't know if in their excitement they did it in two um, you know, in, in just the, the thrill of everything that was going on, they sort of sped it up. Um, maybe they took longer because they were having so much fun together and enjoying all the things that they had seen and talking and celebrating. I don't know any of that. I just know that they got themselves from Jerusalem um, all the way to Galilee, 70 miles, and there they're supposed to meet Jesus. And the scene opens in verse 16. It says, "Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. In verse 17, it says this, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Um, isn't that a great, great thing to read? Here, here's the 11 disciples, and there are other people in the crowd with them. There are other people that you know, travel along with them, but specifically, Jesus is gonna to talk to those 11, and they're, they're, they're going to Galilee, and Jesus shows up, and they've just witnessed the resurrection. They've just gone through the whole crucifixion, now the resurrection. And now that Jesus says, I'm going to meet you. I've got something special. I want to meet you in Galilee. They get to Galilee, and they see Jesus, and they worshiped, but some doubted. I'm so grateful for that because here's what Jesus is teaching us is that we can bring our doubt into worship. That we're people, we're we're not perfect yet, we haven't arrived yet, and and that, that we, God says I love you so much that I wanna call you to worship me, but you don't have to have everything perfect before you come, you don't have to have your act all together, you don't have to understand everything that's going on in your life, but here's what matters, do you have faith enough to worship me in spite of your doubts? in spite of your struggles, in spite of the challenges, because here's what happens to us, right? We we witness the resurrection in our own lives and, and we experience Jesus and then life comes crashing in and challenges happen and pain happens in our lives and confusion happens in our lives and all of a sudden we're just wondering, Lord, where did you go? What are you doing? And he says, but you can still come and worship. You can bring those doubts to worship and let me take care of those. Let me deal with those for, for with you and for you, that we don't have have to have it all together we don't have to have it perfect in order to come to him and worship because he meets those needs and he's invited us to come and i think that's such a freeing thing that i don't have to show up every sunday feeling perfect because that makes it really hard for me to show up because i don't know that i ever feel perfect i don't have to come feeling perfect but i come in faith and I come to worship, and it's in that worship that the Lord relieves my doubts. It's in that worship that the Lord comforts and strengthens me and draws me to him. Because you know what worship does? Worship by nature focuses us. We're worshiping Christ. I'm taking my eyes off myself for a change. And I'm putting my eyes on Jesus. I'm looking back at him. I'm being reminded how great he is, how beautiful he is, how much he loves us. I'm being reminded of what he did on the cross. I'm being reminded of the resurrection. I'm getting my eyes refocused and put back where they belong. And there's something about getting my eyes back on Jesus that that allows my doubts to sort of slip away, disappear. And we come and worship, but we bring our doubts. So the disciples, even after all they had seen, they came and they worshiped, but some doubted. Well, here's uh, the next part, simply says this, and Jesus came and uh, he said to them, all authority in on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's begin by noticing that this, this passage is called the Great Commission, right? We all got you know, the Great Commission, it's probably printed in your Bible someplace, right? The Great Commission, we get that. But something I'd like you to notice this morning is that the Great Commission is sandwiched um, between the great, uh, the great affirmation and the great promise. That before we get the Great Commission, we get the great affirmation and Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. The affirmation of who he is the affirmation of where he stands, all authority. In fact, in this little passage, Jesus uses the word all four times. He says, all authority has been given to me. Uh, Go to all nations, teaching all the things. And then he says, I'll be with you always. That he wants us to understand that his life, that his power, that his strength in our lives encompasses everything that we could imagine. It encompasses the whole universe, that all things belong to him. I think it's really interesting that Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. There's a couple of things about that. One is all is a really big word, isn't it? It, it means everything, it includes everything. All authority. And you know people love to use terms like that. Remember Muhammad Ali? Muhammad Ali said he was the greatest. It's, it, you, you say that you're the greatest, you probably shouldn't ever lose, right? Uh, because that's really awkward. If you're the greatest and you start losing, that's a, it just, you lose credibility somehow, right? But somehow it seems like it's okay to say you're the greatest, we get used to that. Um, I, I looked up something this week, I thought it was sort of interesting, you know, the World Series, right, the Cubs finally win the World Series after 108 years, and, and we celebrate the World Series, but I'm, I'm just wondering, when we have the World Series, how does the rest of the world feel about that? <laughs> Seriously, they're not invited, <laughs> but we call it the World Series. Now here, here's what happens, is that in, in um, 1886, it was called the Championship of the United States. Uh, about 1904, the, the Spalding Guide started publishing things, and, and another uh, periodical, Sporting Life, started publishing things and started calling it the series, great, you know, greatest series of the world, and then it became the World Series, and, and that sort of caught on. And the idea was that, for goodness sakes, this is America, and this is America's pastime, and pretty soon the whole world is going to be playing baseball, and then we'll invite them into our series. And it will be the World Series. So let's just start calling it now the World Series, and eventually everybody will catch up, and it'll really be the World Series. How's that work for him? But we use those words all the time. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. He, 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 he says it this way. He wants us to understand, because it's a staggering claim but when you think about Matthew writing his gospel 20 to 30 years after the resurrection of Christ, that persecution has started in the church, that, that people are scattering out, the gospel's going all over the world, and Matthew is, is the, his, being read by people all over the world. And he says that, that, that 20 or so years earlier, After the crucifixion of Jesus, here's a man crucified as a state criminal uh, by the Roman authorities. He claims to be the one to whom Caesar himself will eventually bow his knee. Uh, He is the Lord not just of the church, but he's the Lord of history. He's the Lord of governments. He's the Lord of nations. He's the Lord of the universe. And that's the statement, which is the affirmation of the early Christians made when they confessed at their baptism that Jesus Christ is Lord, is that he has authority over, over everything he is authority over the entire universe there is nothing that he's not in charge of and he says all authority has been given to me by the father and everything now is under my authority everyone is under my authority in philippians 2 9 through 11 he says you know that therefore because of what jesus did god exalted his name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and heaven and earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, that every knee will bow to Jesus. Sooner or later, every knee will bow to Jesus. He's the authority of all. So he comes to us with that authority. Pretty serious, right? He comes to us with that authority and then he gives us a commission. I've conquered death, I've defeated sin, now I'm going to be with the Father, and I've got a mission for you. And here's my great plan. This is so exciting. There's going to be an org chart. There's going to be goals. There's going to be a smart plan. You know, all of this stuff, he's going to, do, you know, we're, this, is, this is the God of the universe. He invented all this stuff. He thought of it all first. And here's what he says. I want you to go wherever you go, and I want you to make disciples. And he's looking out at us and he's looking out at the world. He's looking at his disciples and the disciples, you know, just a few days before. They'd been hiding. Uh, Peter denied him three times. This is, you know, these are not PhD candidates here, you know. And Jesus said, I want you to go wherever you go and I want you to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit and and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. You're gonna go. You guys get to do this. And what was he thinking? I mean, seriously, look at the person next to you and say, what was he thinking? He he picked you. I'm kidding, don't really do that because that's awkward. And somebody else gonna send me an email. But he picked us and he said, I have a commission for you. Go and make disciples. Now I think this is really interesting that he says go and make disciples. That he wants us to participate with his plan in the world. That he has come, he gave his life, he died on a cross so that we might be forgiven. He rose again and now he says, now I want you to go and do the work. I want you to go and make disciples and he's gonna tell us how to do it. The first thing he wants us to understand is that we'll baptize. We have baptisms next week. Baptism is an opportunity to say, I'm identifying with Jesus. A couple of things happen in baptism. If you can imagine in the first century, all of these people that were were Jews or Gentiles, um, they come to faith, and the very first thing that Jesus did and the very first thing he had his disciples do is he said, we're gonna baptize them. We're gonna baptize them because it represents a couple of things. One, they're identifying with Jesus. They're choosing to identify with Jesus, that now they belong to him. Now they're a Jesus follower. You see, when when Jesus says, go and make disciples, this word disciple is really an important word because it literally means to follow. He's saying, I was following somebody else, I was following something else, and now I'm a follower of Jesus. And I really love this word because, you know, most of us think of ourselves in terms of being a Christian, right? And you know, a Christian is mentioned three times in the New Testament. Uh, disciples mentioned roughly 260 times in the New Testament. Interesting, isn't it? That what Jesus is really trying to identify with us here is that we become followers of him that we become followers of Jesus, that I was following my own dreams, my own desires, my own selfishness, I was following somebody else's, I was following some goal, some idea, but I have tur- my life has been changed and I am turning and now I am a follower of Jesus. And that's pretty hard to argue against because you can, you know, people have defined Christians so many different ways now. The truth is that we're followers of Jesus. And what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be his follower? And, and he ties these things together really beautifully for us because he says, now, I want you to baptize. So he's saying, I'm identifying with Jesus, that I want the world to know that I'm a follower of Jesus. So we have kids in our church that have kind of grown up in the church. And if you ask some of them, they might say, I don't really remember when I became a Christian, but I've kind of always grown up in the church. And so what we'll say is, yeah, but we want you to remember the day that you stood up in front of your family and all of your friends and your church family and you said, I'm choosing to follow Jesus and be baptized. And I, I want you to put that date in your Bible. We give them a T-shirt that says, "I have decided." We want it to be something that's permanently etched in their hearts and their minds that that was the day they stood up to be identified with Christ. I'm no longer identified by anything else, but now I'm a follower of Jesus. The second thing that it, it, that baptism teaches us is that it's about death and resurrection. That we are buried, that we go down in the water, and we come up, and it symbolizes being a new creation in Christ. That I've been brought back. Or, or in, in John three, when when uh, Nicodemus goes and talks to Jesus. Jesus says, unless you're born again, that idea of going back and coming up, death and resurrection, that now we belong to him, and it's a reminder where our lives are. So Jesus says, here's what you're gonna do to make disciples. You're gonna baptize people. You're gonna, you're gonna challenge them to identify as followers of me, that their old life has passed away. Behold, there's a new life. they are a new creation in me. And then the second thing that I want you to do is I want you to teach them all that I've commanded how do you start how do you start there Well, Matthew did a pretty good job for us. In the first part of Matthew, we studied it this fall in in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He said, blessed are those who mourn. He said, blessed are you when you're meek or gentle, uh, that you're easily led, you're easily guided by me. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst after righteousness for my name's sake. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for me. Blessed are the peacemakers he gave us a picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There are people who recognize that without Christ we're completely bankrupt, we're lost, that we find life in him, that we're people who mourn that condition of sin, that we've repented that, we, we choose to follow Jesus, that we're people who hunger and thirst after his righteousness, we're people who choose to follow him, that want to keep our eyes focused, on Him. we're people that bring his perspective to every situation and become peacemakers because he is the bringer of peace that we live that out in our lives, that we teach everywhere we go, that we're always teaching because we're always living. You see, the idea of being a follower of Jesus is is not just what we say, but it's how we live. It's not just the story we tell, but it's the story that we live, that we live out what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to look like him you see, in those days, um, rabbis would have followers and they would, follow the, they would follow the rabbi around and they would get as close as they possibly could. They'd crowd around him so that as the rabbi talked as he walked along the road, that they wouldn't miss anything, that they would catch everything that he said, that when the rabbi sat down, they would gather at his feet and wait for him to teach, not wanting to miss anything that he had to say. And Jesus saying, if you're my followers, you're gonna get as close to me as you possibly can. You're gonna gather around me. You're not gonna to wanna to miss anything that I have to say, anything that I have to teach you. And so so we're called as followers of Jesus to stay as close to Jesus as we possibly can. And so he says, teaching them to observe. Now, here's the hard part. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. (laughs) All right, so some of you may not know this, but I'm one of the least handy people that I know. And so if I have a job to do at my house and Jeff Tebalt's not there or Aaron's not available then I have one resource, I Google. Seriously, yeah, see? And I Google it and then I find a video of somebody doing what it is that I need to do and I watch the video and then I do that. I just imitate some guy on a video, he's pretty boring but he knows what he's doing and I follow him and I try to do whatever the task is that I'm trying to do. Restring a weed eater, seriously. Why did they make that so hard, right? So I had to Google that. And I had to watch a guy do it so that I could restring the weed eater so that I could trim the edge of my yard, right? And I watched this. Now when Jesus says, teaching them to observe, he says, here's the deal, your life is a YouTube video. That people are watching your life and they're learning how to follow Jesus. They're watching your life, and they're learning what it means to be a follower of His, to love Him, to love others, to love the world. They watch your life, so we're not just telling people, but we're showing people. We're living our faith in front of them. I bet you never thought of yourself as a YouTube video. Something brand new today, you got it. That's who you are. You're a picture of who Jesus is to people who desperately need to learn about him. So how do we make disciples? We teach and we live. We teach and we model. They observe us and they do what they see in our lives. Are you ready for that? Seriously, Jesus, that's the best you could come up with? They're gonna model after me? Okay, let me tell you this. If I find somebody is modeling after me, if I find somebody is observing me, I sit a little straighter. I behave a little better. I talk a little nicer. I pay a little bit more attention to what's coming out of my mouth, to what I'm thinking, to what I'm doing because I don't want them to be me. I want them to be Jesus. And we're followers of Jesus and people are observing. And Jesus gave us that commission to go to teach them to observe all that I've commanded. And here's the last part of this, okay? This whole commandment thing, it's all of them. It's not just the ones we like. I'm sorry, but it doesn't give us permission to just sort of write off the stuff we don't like but he says, all that I've commanded you. Now, we have to wrestle with it, and we have to struggle, and we have to deal with it, but to be a follower of Jesus, we recognize that, Lord, this is hard for me, and I may not even really like it that much, but I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna observe your commands. I'm gonna obey you. I'm gonna obey all that you've commanded me. That means I'm gonna love my neighbor as as I love myself. That means I'm gonna love the people in my family, my personal family, my North family, the way you've loved me loved me. That's going to be how I go after this. I'm choosing to obey everything that you commanded. That's what I want my life to look like. I mean, this is serious business. This isn't easy to do. We're called, there's a reason that we're called to give all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our lives to Jesus because this is not easy stuff. And I think that sometimes people don't do it because of that very reason, because it looks hard. So here's the trick, here's the tip Here's the part that I want us to make sure we understand. It's about following Jesus. Get as close to Jesus as you possibly can. Listen as close as you can. Pay as much attention to who Jesus is as you possibly can. And then follow him. And allow him to begin to work all of these things out in your life. So we have the great affirmation We have the great commission, and we're told to teach, and we're told to model. uh, We're told to teach how to observe, to pay attention. There's a great great story about um, two Turkish shepherds. You may have read about this, but they're tending their sheep one night. And one of their sheep wanders off and just steps right off a cliff. Sheep are not known for intelligence, right? He steps right off the cliff. Well, here's the crazy thing about sheep. Sheep are followers. And before the shepherds could get to him, 1,500 sheep had just stepped right off the cliff. They'd all stepped, they just followed each other right off the cliff. Nobody sort of watched and said, they disappeared, maybe I should take a look. They just followed him right over. Now, what was really funny about it is that they didn't all die because they started creating this pile (laughs) and landing on each other and only about, Under 500 actually died in the accident because they just kept piling up on each other. uh, But they just went over. And so we've got people following, and we've got a couple of pictures. They can either follow and find Jesus, or they can follow us over a cliff. We get to decide which that's going to be. They can follow us to destruction, or they can follow us to life, and we we get to decide because it's who we're following and it's how we're following Christ. Now, I, uh, I pulled out a great quote from an author that I like, named Scott McKnight, and he wrote a book called One Thing. Listen to what he says about this. The only thing that fills our soul or that challenges you to live that dream the most is following Jesus. Some days you may do pretty well, other days you flub up. Christianity isn't enough. Religion isn't enough. Being accepted in a church isn't enough. Climbing the corporate ladder isn't enough. Chasing the American dream isn't enough. Finding a person to love isn't enough. Politics isn't enough. Money, clothing, food, and drink aren't enough. Fame isn't enough. The only thing, the only one who is enough is Jesus, and we follow him. We are followers of Jesus. It's not to demean, it's not to put down any of those things, but it's to focus us, it's to challenge us about who we follow, that we, we, follow, we follow Jesus. Can you imagine what would happen if we took the Great Commission seriously? Can you imagine what would happen if we really believed that wherever you go, you make disciples? That wherever you go, that we're called to make disciples, to teach, people to observe all that Christ has commanded, that we do it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that it's because of him, it's because we're followers of him. I shared with you that there are people who have shaped my life, and, and that really matters because here's the one thing, that this isn't written to the Lone Ranger this is written to the body of Christ, this is written to the church, that we do this together. So here's not what Jesus is saying, is that you, are in, as an individual, are required to go out all by yourself every day and make disciples, but what he's saying is that as we go out, that we go as a family, that we go in community, that yeah, sometimes I'm by myself, but, but I'm never doing this by myself, that even in my life, as I reflect on my life, I think of all of the people over the course of my life that have helped shape me, that have taught me to be a follower of Jesus, that I've observed, that I've learned from, that I've grown from, who have been part of my life from my earliest life right through to today. So many people have been an influence on in my life. So many people have helped shape me and we do that together. So don't leave today thinking it's about you, but it's about who we are in Christ and it's about how we follow Jesus together. We do this together. We live it out together and, and, and God may use us in one place, but he may use somebody else in another place to help somebody become a, a follower of his that we model and we influence together. You know, Um, my son Josh who's a pastor in Chicago has five kids yep and uh, when Jen and I go to take care of the kids uh, Josh will tell us as they're leaving hey dad don't worry about anything because if you forget anything that I've told you or you can't find something just ask Lucy she's the 11 year old she can tell you She can tell you everything. Two of the kids have a special diet. They have this PKU, they don't assimilate protein, so you gotta count everything they eat, you gotta watch them really close, you gotta feed them this this special formula and all this stuff, and and Lucy knows all about it. And so I've seen her dive across the table if if one of us started to give the kids something they shouldn't have, right? And she'll, no, they can't eat that, and she knows all of that. And so when we take care of our grandkids in Chicago, we're not just doing it by ourselves, but we got this whole little family uh, especially the 11 year old and the 10 year old um, who help us, who know all the routines and know all the stuff. And when we go into the world to make disciples, we do it together. And sometimes um, I might pass the wrong thing. Sometimes I might get it right and wrong. And you can come around and help us as we go into the world to make disciples, as we love people in the name of Jesus. You're part of a family, you're part of God's family, and North is part of that. We do this together, and uh, so here's the question. How does the Lord want us to live out the Great Commission together? How does the Lord want us to live that out? We do it by caring for each other. We do it by how we love God and how we come together in small groups and on Sundays and different times to, to love the Lord. We do it by how we love one another and how we care for each other and how we serve uh, each other, and we get to do that in all kinds of ways. And if you'd like to be part of that in a more tangible way, then I would encourage you to check with Kirsten or check at the guest services, and, and we can help you do that. Uh, we take our Shepherds Fund offering. We did it this year on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, and, and you guys gave um, over $20,000 to help us to meet the needs of families starting here at North and then beyond in crisis. What a gift that is. Um, we get to participate in that, and then we get to participate in how we love the world. And sometimes we go real intentionally to Ecuador or to India or someplace and we build a house and we talk to people about Jesus and we plant churches. But sometimes we go into Scottsdale to an elderly person's home and we just simply do a remake on their front yard and we love them in the name of Jesus and we don't necessarily get to talk to, we certainly don't get to talk to them about north, we just do it because that's what Jesus would do And we get to live that out together in community. And we teach each other and we observe and we allow our kids to come so they can see how we follow Jesus, how we live that out. We get to do that. But we're gonna do that as many ways as we possibly can this year because our hearts desire that as followers of Jesus, that wherever we go in the world, we make disciples. Teaching them to observe all that Christ commanded. And then he finishes with the great Uh, The great promise. He had the great affirmation, the great commission, and then the great promise, and he says this, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know that the resurrection guarantees that that's true. Jesus keeps his promises, and when he says, I'll always be with you, that's a promise that he won't break that when he sends us into the world, we're going as a body, but we're going with Jesus. We're going with Christ in our lives. We're going in the name of Jesus. We never go alone. We never go unarmed. Uh, We never go without the power of the Holy Spirit living in us and through us, that we go in the name of Christ. That's how we roll here at North.